0: All right, you guys can have a seat. If you would do me a favor, open up your Bibles to Acts 20. If you've taken a sermon outline, um, I made a mistake this week. I put 21. I guess I'm eager to move past Acts 20. um, But um, so. On the sermon online, says Acts 21, but it's actually Acts 20. Uh, big shout out, I see Tom Sullivan here. He's all the way in the back. I just wanted to shout you out, bro. I love you. So Tom Sullivan, you don't know. Um, Tom Sullivan is our camp director. He oversees Camp Carl. So if you get an opportunity today, go say hi to him. Go find out what's going on at camp as they get ready for the next year and all the summer or winter and spring stuff that they're doing. So um, appreciate seeing him this morning. All right, we're going to jump right into the passage. Oh, and first of all, okay, side note, we're going to go on a rabbit trail. We're gonna be, I'm going to preach for about 15 minutes because Jeff was talking about the, the guardians last night. Y'all need to quit. Y'all need to quit. Can I tell you what happened last night? We so, won. <laughs> for those watching online, someone just shouted in the middle, during the sermon at that, that they won. Okay, this is what happened last night. First and foremost, Aaron Judge is a bad man, all right? Okay, that's one. Um, okay, all right, I get it. So, I go to the game with a bunch of people. And let me tell you something, I'm from the Bronx, all right? I'm on the last stop on the two train, 241st and White Plains, it's the very end of the Bronx. Like, I can walk a block north and I'm outside of New York City, I'm in the next city, okay? They call me an uptown boy, I'm from the Bronx. Big Yankees fan, right? Greatest franchise of all time. Don't, just let me, I need to get it out, okay? Just let me get it out. So I go to the game last night. And, you know, I'm in Ohio. I know, I kind of understand the Midwestern culture. You guys are like calm and easy and basic, right? No, rah, rah, rah. All right. I go to the game. I'm sitting in section 570 with a bunch of people from the church. And we're having a good time. It's a good time. First couple of innings were kind of rough. Aaron Judge hits a home run, and we're good. I'm happy. But let me tell you something. I decide because I see, like, we're winning. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get something to eat. I'm going to relax. Let me tell you something. You people are feisty. (laughs) People were, I'm not even kidding you. People were elbowing me, pushing me, shoving me. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. But let me put the food down first, and then we can... (laughs) I'm from the Bronx. We get scrappy, man. Let me tell you something. I, I mean, I wouldn't have a job because I would be, someone's going to bail me out. But, I mean, people were elbowing, pushing me, and, like, saying profound, uh, profane things to me. And said like, I could take it. But it was out of hand, all right? Bottom of the ninth inning. And let me tell you something. Every, like, you know how I talk about the hum? Oh, my gosh. I got the hum, and I'm watching. And I'm, let me tell you something. I don't regularly do this, but I did. I said, Lord, please let them win. Lord, please let them win. They did it. But we got a game tonight. Let's go easy. I'm a little tired. I'm a little stressed. I'm overwhelmed. You know, you guys should feel bad for me. People were shoving me and doing, like, come on. Like, I'm a nice guy, I'm cool. I was decked out. Uh, let me tell you something. From the inside of my shirt, I was wearing a Yankees. Yeah, I had a Yankees t-shirt, a pullover. I had a hoodie. I had a hat. And anyway, I think that's, that was triggering to people, I guess. <laughs> triggering. Anyway, I'm, I can't. Listen, well, I'm going to preach a long time. Or look, I already wasted five minutes on that. Um, and the clock is counting. Let's go to Acts chapter 20, verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. Um, you can turn to page 929. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to gift you that Bible. That is our gift to you. Here at the chapel, um, we believe in God's word, we study God's word, and we participate in God's word every single week. So we're in verse 17. Um, we'll talk about, sorry. Um, well, we'll talk about the chapter. Um, we're gonna focus on 17 to 27. Um, The beginning um, verses, the first sections, is just essentially what's happening. Um, Luke is riding really fast. Um, because at this point, it's probably been like 30 years since Acts chapter 1 or 2. So he's, he's moving fast. It's been several years since um, Paul's been traveling. So um, he's just giving you quick snippets of like this is where he's going. This is who he's with. This is who he's coming with, who, who's leaving, who's coming back. Um, so we find ourselves in 17 um, to focus on a, on, a, on a beautiful theme. Verse 17 now from Miltus. He sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Remember, we talked about this a couple of months back on our series on eldership. We talked about the last part of Acts chapter 20. So he calls for the elders of the church to come to him. And he's at a different city. and he wants to go to Jerusalem, right? So Paul is very eager um, to go to Jerusalem. This is about 30 years since Acts chapter 1. So now the church, the universal church, many of the churches actually celebrate the day of Pentecost. So the Jews also celebrate Pentecost. So he's trying to get to Jerusalem so he can celebrate Pentecost in Jerusalem. And also, remember, we talked about this a while, but he's carrying an offering, right? He, the church has collected money for the church in Jerusalem. So he's eager to get to Jerusalem to give them the money. Right, So, so he, he, he wants to talk to the Ephesus church, but he can't. So he sends for the elders, the pastors of the church, and he says, hey, would you meet me in the city? I have something to tell you. Um, and this is what he says, verse 18, and when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. This is, this is where Paul's at. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It's a beautiful section because this is the first time Paul actually talks about the grace of God that way as the gospel of the grace of God. is actually, I think, the only time in the New Testament. It's a beautiful picture of what we just sang about. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So he's not going to see them anymore, or at least that's what he claims. He actually does see them later on. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Um, these are Paul's last words and and then I thought to myself oh I should tell you the title of the the sermon today is Faithful to the End Um, we're going to talk about faithfulness what it looks like to be faithful where can we be faithful so these are Paul's last words air quotes to pastors. Now, the principles that we'll talk about today are not just to pastors. This is to everyone, right? So, so when we're talking about who's he talking to, remember that he's talking to specifically to pastors, but the principle applies to all of us, okay? But these are some last words that he wants to leave them. And then I thought to myself, like, what would, what would be my last words to people? I, I don't have a family, so this is what I thought, i imagine. Like, the high schoolers, I love them. You know I love them. And I often think, like, what would be the last thing I would want them to know? Um, When I've had opportunities in the past to talk to high schoolers when they're graduating high school, if I have the opportunity, I would want to tell them something. What? What would I tell them? And I realized I said, you know, I have a lot to say. I I would want to tell them how much I love them, how much I care for them. Like, what would you say to your loved one? Like, if if you knew you would never see your children again, if if you would never see your spouse again, um, or family, or friends that you care for, what would you tell them? What would be the last thing you would, you would say? I would say, I love you, I care for you. Uh, like, Remember the time when we, right, and fill in the blank. like, Or I would apologize, right, like I'm so sorry that I remember that time where I failed you. Um, I'm sorry. And then I probably would tell them, hey, um, I'm leaving. I, I won't be here. But here's what I want you to do. Don't, don't forget, right? Like, don't lose your hope in Jesus. Don't lose your faith in Jesus. Just pursue him. Life is going to get tough. Life is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Um, but you can trust God. You, you can trust him. Like, he's worthy of your trust. You, you don't have to earn his trust. He doesn't have to earn yours because, because in fact, he's always been trustworthy. That's what I would say, and I think that's what Paul says, right? In this section, he doesn't explicitly say this, but this is the message that he gives them. He gives them the message of faithfulness. He tells them, be faithful. How should you be faithful? Well, follow my example. So Paul's going to outline six ways six areas where they ought to be faithful, I think, for us, where we should be faithful. And I want to give you a definition of faithfulness. Um, It's by John Piper. It's a beautiful um, definition. And here's the definition. John Piper says um, what it is to be faithful. He says, to be faithful is to have your heart bound to the will of God and by the Spirit. I love when he says the word bound because there's like a tetherness to God that like you're tied and you can't be broken. And That idea of like consistency, right? That's what faithfulness, consistency, not perfection, right? You're you're going to be tempted here in this room and watching online. You're going to be tempted to think, oh, faithfulness means perfection. No, faithfulness is consistency, reliability, right? Stability. It's not perfection. Even Paul wasn't perfect. I'm not perfect. So when we follow Paul's example of faithfulness, you're going to be tempted to think, I'm not Paul. I'm not an apostle. I, I, I. I'm not him. And I'm going to tell you, no, you can't be like him because the same spirit that abided in Paul is the same spirit that abides in you. So if if God's called him to faithfulness and he wants to be faithful in response to God's faithfulness, then you can be faithful too. I realized, um, I actually just realized this this past week. When I was studying this passage, this idea of faithfulness come up. And I realized that um, my heart has a tenderness to this word faithfulness. For some reason, um, have you ever met someone, this is typical, I think it only happens in the church world, but anyway, I've I've come across people um, who at the end of a year are, are praying and thinking about a word for the next year right? And they're praying and thinking, reading scripture. And then they have a word for the new year that's coming, right? And, and that's the word that's going to drive their actions, their affections. That's the word that they want to see influenced throughout the whole 12 months, right? Um, I, I don't do that. I mean, there's nothing bad about it. I just don't do it. Like, I don't have like new year's resolutions. Um, I, I just, I don't. But, but, but it came to my mind um, that in this last several months, that there's a word, like I said before, that I'm like drawn to, like my heart, like when I talk about it, I like, I feel it. Um, it's the word faithfulness, and, and here's why, I don't, I don't know why, but, oh, actually I do know why, I'm gonna give you two reasons, sorry. First reason is, is because I can, I, if, if, if my life was on the screen, I can point to every moment in my life where I was unfaithful to God. And it brings great disappointment to me. Because my heart's desire, like, let me tell you something. I am sold out for Jesus in ways that I can't explain. And I want my life, every moment of my life, to reflect him. Like, when I'm preaching, I don't want you to see me. I truly want you to see Jesus because, 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 like, what he's done for me, like the life that I've lived, I shouldn't have lived. Like the things that I've experienced, I shouldn't have experienced, the blessings I'm talking about. But I can look back on my life and point to you every moment that I was unfaithful to God, where, where, where I sinned against God, where, where the sin that I struggled with the most, I kept going back to. And then I think, and I look to God and I said, how can you, how can you be faithful to me? Like I think of a marriage right? I mean, think of a marriage of where someone has been unfaithful, and then, and, and then you have to rebuild that trust, and that trust doesn't come automatically. It, it comes over a long period of years, and in fact, that person is not entitled to that trust anymore, right? And I think of, of us Christians, right, that how often we've been unfaithful to God, whether with sin or like just the dumb things in life of just being angry or bitter or resentful or just not having contentment. I truly want to be faithful to the Lord. And, and at times, I don't know how, right? You ever put yourself in that position like, God, I want to be faithful. I, like, in my mind know I need to be faithful, but it's so hard with my emotions and the temptations of this world to be faithful. So I look at that and I, like, great disappointment walls up in my heart because I truly want to honor the Lord. I'm sure you do too, right? Like, you want to honor the Lord and you realize that there are moments in your life where you don't. Here's the second reason why my heart is tender to this word of faithfulness. Because when I look at my entire life of how I've been unfaithful to God, then I think of his faithfulness. And think about this in a, wedding, in a, in a marriage where a spouse has been unfaithful. Take that picture with our relationship with Jesus and how often we are rebellious and wayward in our sin, how often we've been unfaithful, and you know what God does? He stays committed. Like, I am in awe. Um, People say that the greatest and most profound character of God is God's love, and I, I can agree. You know what I think, for me, in this season right now, the most profound characteristic of God is his faithfulness is because he in his great love continues to be faithful to us when we're not faithful to him. And the crazy part about it is he doesn't hold it against us. Where he could. He absolutely could hold it against us, but his great love he says no I don't hold it against you. I mean, that is amazing and profound to me. You read Genesis all the way to Revelation, and what do you see is his faithfulness. I mean, we're going to spend, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we'll spend billions and billions of years, check this out, we're going to spend billions and billions, if not trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of years with him. And it's contingent on one thing because we can't be there unless we're, we're there, right? Like, there's nothing for us to hold the thing together. But it's contingent on one character and one character alone. We get to be with Jesus for billions and trillions of years based on one character that he remains faithful to his promises. Think about that, right? From a trillion years from now, when we're with him in heaven, new heavens and new earth, he has to stay committed and faithful to his promises that he made at the very beginning. That's a beautiful testimony of the gospel that a trillion years from now where people might forget of history, God remembers his faithful covenant to his people and we get to be with him forever because of that faithfulness. That's, I, I can't even think of and fathom that. One characteristic our entire life is predicated on his faithfulness. At the end of Revelation, when Revelation closes, and everything after that, it's on him. That's nothing we could do. It's not like we can change it. That's on him. That is so beautiful to me. So when we see and read this passage, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see six ways in which you and I can follow Paul's example of faithfulness. And and, and don't miss this. When you see Paul's example of faithfulness, what I want you to think of, what I want you to picture is God's faithfulness. Right, so like when you're tempted to think, I can't do this, I don't have the ability to do this, I'm not strong enough to be faithful, I'm not strong enough to be consistent, stable, reliable, and trustworthy, Follow Paul's example, right? Because Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we can follow his example, but I want you to see the picture, the bigger picture, and that's the faithfulness of God. So so here's, here's the first thing I want us to see. Verse 19, look at verse 19 with me. <laughs> verse 19 doesn't describe Paul's ministry as though it was through the lens of a rose-colored glasses. Um, he doesn't describe his ministry and his life as being of great importance, or he doesn't describe it as something that's honorable and something to celebrate. In fact, if you look at verse 19, what he's describing is something actually quite difficult. The first way that Paul has been faithful, that you and I can be faithful, is faithful in serving God. That's what he says. But look, look when he was faithful in serving God. Not when he was on the mountaintop, but when when he was in the valley. Like, like he says he was faithful in serving God with tears and trials that happened to him through the plots of the Jews. Think about that, right? Like, think about this idea that there's much adversity, there's much, um, there's much persecution against your life, and 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 at the time when Paul should not be faithful, when he has like the time out, but he's like, all right, time out. I'm out of here. He, he chooses to stay in and he says, no, I'm going to be committed to, to pursuing God. I'm going to be committed to serving God. When? When it wasn't advantageous for him to serve God. Look at that, right? Like with tears and trials. It wasn't to his advantage to serve God, especially when his life was on the line. But what do we see? We see him being committed trustworthy to do what god has called them to do and that's the truth for all of us this morning all of us have been called to serve God. And this is beyond just volunteering at, in church. This is, this is a pursuit of a God who loves us and cares for us in our daily devotion, in our prayer, in our fellowship with believers, in, in our, in our pr- promoting and, and proclaiming the gospel, right? Like, this is beyond just, just coming to church, listening to an okay sermon, and singing some awesome songs. This is a faithful pursuit of God, and he says he was faithful, when? When it was the hardest, and so much of our world says, listen, when when you're fearful and anxious, and when when things are overwhelming, and things are are trying, run, right? That's what they're telling our young people. They're telling our young people, hey, every time you feel anxiety, every time you you feel fear, anytime you feel adversity, run. You, you, You shouldn't feel adversity, you shouldn't feel those things, right, like, no that your entire life should be filled with temporary happiness, your life should be filled with every good thing that happens to you. Whatever makes you feel good, that's the thing you pursue, not the things that that are hard, and what Paul says. I pursued serving God. How did he pursue God? That's the second way, right, that you and I can be faithful. And I know this is not really practical, right, but this is what God's calling us to do. The second way that Paul is faithful, that we ought to be faithful, is faithful in humility. Right, I mean, if you think about the character of Paul and who Paul was, he was an apostle, right? Like, the known world knew who he was, right? This is, wasn't a guy that, like, no one knew. I mean, most people knew him. Every time he entered a city, they were like, here he goes. Let's get the bat. Let's get, you know, let's get the clubs. We're going to take out some elbows and kneecaps, right? Like, that's what was happening. And also, too, like, not only do it in humility, but... but but think about also, not only the persecution, but, but the apostleship, like this was Paul. He wrote two thirds of the New Testament. Surely pride and, and hubris would, would arise, right? No, no, but what does he say? That, that he did it with great humility. Yeah, um, I'm reminded of the story, um, you guys know the story. I'm reminded of the story in the Old Testament. God had commanded the people of Israel, actually he commanded the leaders of Israel Do not take a census. You do not count how many people you have and you do not count how many soldiers you have. The only time you are to do a census, the only time you are to to have a census is when I tell you to have a census. Why do you think God did that? For several reasons. Well, he did it because what he wanted his people and the leaders of God's people to always trust and rely on him. Why? Because... Oftentimes when we serve God, oftentimes when we are the people of God, pride can fill up our hearts in thinking that we are self-reliant in our power and our strength. So what happens? What does David do? David wins a great battle against the Philistines. This is his arch nemesis, the Philistines. And what does he decide to do? He tells his commander, I need you to do me a favor. Go out to all through the countries from this tribe to the last tribe, and I want you to count all the people and count the soldiers. And the commander says... Um, your majesty, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> you, sh- you sure? Because I'm pretty sure somewhere on paper it says, we shouldn't be doing that. And he says, no, go do it. And what does the Lord say? Oh, I imagine a picture when God talks to people in the Old Testament like he's from the Bronx. So this is my interpretation. <laughs> this is my interpretation. Oh, you're cute, huh? Oh, you think you're a tough guy. You won a great battle, and now you want to count what you have and what you lost, and you're feeling this sense of pride or self-reliance. Oh, okay, go ahead, do it. Go. Yeah, go, go. Go count. Go do it. Yeah, yeah, send that commander. Go do it. You can do it. And what what happens? God punishes him. He says, all right, you... You think you're a tough guy. You think that you can do this on your own. I'm going to give you, you got three options. Because I love and care for you, I'm going to give you three options. And these are going to be three options that you have. And I'm going to punish you and the people. You either get to get a plague, you get a famine, or um, something else happens. I forget the third thing that happens. But this is what you got to pick. Why? Because God always wants his people to trust and trust him alone. Right? So when, when, when when the nation of Israel will go out to battle, They weren't thinking about how many people they had to fight. What they were thinking about is who's going to win the fight, right? They were thinking about is God going to win it for us? He he didn't want them to to be self-reliant on their own power, their own strength, and their ability to control, he wanted them to be in a posture of humility, trusting him who has the power. And that's the same thing that we see in this passage, right? That, that pride and self-reliance can swell up in our hearts and our minds because we think we've done something awesome from God, right? Like, like we, we serve in this great ministry and I do this and I do that and God needs me to accomplish that plan and, and they need me to do this and that. And, and, and God says, oh, you're cute, huh? You think you can do it. Your own strength, your own power. go ahead, do it. You don't need me. That's the danger for us, right? That we often look at our accomplishments, our accomplishments and abilities, and we think that somehow some way God needs us. Paul's character of humility is an encouragement for us. We ought to be humble. We, we ought to say, whatever we accomplish, we ought to say, it was the Lord who did it through me." Right when someone says you did a great job, um, that's that's what I try to do. I'm, I'm not a big words affirmation guy. If you guys do those five, what is it? Love languages. Like I'm not words of affirmation, so I'm just like Ugh. I get awkward when people say good things. I'm like, oh, <laughs> why, why, why are you exposing me that way? I got I'm like, Ugh. Uh, that's not me. But but what I often said, praise God. Like when someone pays you a compliment for something you did for the Lord, it was the Lord. It wasn't me. Like. Always take a posture of humility, right? Because that always communicates to people what God has done and what you have not done, right? Here, here's another example of, of faithfulness that we see in this passage. It's in verse 20 to 21. Uh, and th- I think this is the one that we probably struggle with the most, right? What we see here is a faithfulness in boldly, boldly proclaiming the gospel, Another way you and I can be faithful is through sharing the gospel. And I think this is going to be hard for us because, listen, our temptation, look at me for a second. Like, we live in a culture and a world where we are tempted to be silent about our faith and about Jesus. Why? Because we are afraid of what people might say about us. We're afraid on how people are going to judge us. We're afraid of the outcome of people's judgments right like, and and what we see in Paul's life in fact what we see in the ti- in the entire book of Acts is Paul's commitment Paul's constant commitment to proclaim the gospel and that should be our commitment in our workplace. In our homes, right? We all know people in our homes, right? The worst, listen, the worst thing, I don't know if you ever experienced it, but the worst thing that a pastor can do or like go or do or you can do is go to a funeral where they're unbelievers. Like I've been to funerals where the person was a believer and it, it's, it's somber and sad, but also like there's a little celebration because we know they've been promoted to heaven. But but go to a funeral when the person was an unbeliever and the family is an unbeliever. It's like the worst thing Like, you feel this, you actually feel like there's no life in the room. Why? There's no hope. There's no joy. They have nothing to look forward to. There's not like, "Oh, oh, this person is in heaven. They're just like, they're gone. Christians can celebrate in the hope of seeing them one more time, right? But the unbeliever has no hope. And how are they to have the hope? If you and I are committed to silence. This is the problem, right? Our, our pews are empty in all our churches is because we don't want to share the gospel. We're, we're very comfortable in telling the preacher and the people on staff, no, no, why don't you share the gospel? Why don't you proclaim the gospel? I don't know your family. I'm not at your job. I can't go over there and share the gospel. But we're, we're, we're frozen by fear. We're captivated by our fear. Why? Because we think that there's power in our ability. There's power in our uh, ability to share the gospel. No, the power is in the gospel, right? What does Romans 1 say? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? But because it is the power of God for salvation. The gospel does the work, not you. You're just the mouthpiece, but, but we shy away from it. Paul's commitment to proclaiming the gospel every city, every place. And here, I'm not telling you to go bash somebody over the head with giving them a Bible track. What I'm telling you is live the gospel, be the light in darkness. Show them the gospel. And when that hum, we all have the hum, you, you know, you've had the hum, right? That like anxiety builds up, you're like, uh oh, I gotta say something. And then the spirit tells you to say something. You're like, nope, I'm not saying nothing. And then you're like, the Holy Spirit is like, say it. And you're like, no. And then he says, say it now. And you're like, no. And then he says, you better open that mouth. And then you're like, ah. Right? Like, you get that, that fear, right? It happens to all of us. It happens to me all the time. Here, here's what God's looking for. He's not looking for for perfection. What is he looking for? Consistency, faithfulness, stability, reliability. That when he says open up your mouth, you open up and you declare the wonders of God, of the gospel. And watch him do it. Leave the results to him. You're not the one saving anybody. You weren't on a cross. You don't want to be on a cross, but he was. So let him worry about it. Let the spirit of God worry about it. Don't worry about it. Leave it up to him. I got to move, man. Ooh, we got to go. All right. Four, faithful and obedience. Look at verse 22. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained. I love that word. If you'd like to highlight it in your Bible, underline that word, constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me. Think about that, Like, right? Think about that, that Paul's faithfulness and obedience. What is, what is God calling you to do? That's my question, right? What is God calling you to do? We know that Paul was called to go to Jerusalem, and he said he was constrained by the Spirit. What has the Spirit constrained on you to do? What has God called you to do in your place of work, in your community, your neighborhood, and your family? What has he called you to do? Go do it. Be faithful in it. Obey him. Not your agenda, his agenda. Paul's deep commitment to the spirit despite the results. Think about that, right? Like, Paul had a deep commitment to obey God, to trust in God. And and when did he trust in God? When did he obey God? Look at verse 23. He did it in affliction. He was faithful in affliction. It's amazing to me that he would say, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but here's what the Holy Spirit has told me. Imprisonment and persecution is going to be ever before you every single time. And Paul still remained faithful. Imagine if the Holy Spirit told you, hey, listen, people are going to hate you. They might try to kill you, but hey, I want you to keep doing it. You would say, what are you talking about, bro? I... That's not, that's not my life. Like, that's not what I want to live. But that's what Paul did, right? Like, faithful in the affliction. When a world and a community and a society that says to young people, right, like, like you ought not to feel anxiety and fear. You ought not to experience bad things that, that temporary happiness and, and, and joy that, that comes from materialism and this world should be the thing that you experience every single day, right? Like, like what we see in this passage is what? Be faithful in affliction. This is the problem with the prosperity gospel, right? That God, whatever He has for you is wealth, blessings, and health. What happens when there's affliction? Like, go to South America and tell those people that. Paul, faithful in affliction. Last one, verse 24 but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and finish and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Wow. This is is what you call finishing well. This is Paul's recommendation for us to faithfully pursue God in everything that we do to the very end. To be faithful to the very end. I'm reminded of that passage in, in 2 Timothy, right, where he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I kept the faith. Right, I mean, like don't you want at the end of your life for people to say, man, you finished well. How can you finish well? Being consistent. Being consistent. Being reliable, being trustworthy in your faith and your words to people, right? This is what I tell you, you know, people all the time. If you say you're going to do something, do it, right? We have a problem in this culture. Is like, oh, if I don't feel like it, I won't do it. No, no, be, be faithful. If you say you're going to do something, go do it. Have every moment in your life, right? Every experience that you have, have it, have it as though you were doing it unto the Lord and and be consistent and faithful in all that you do, right? And, and the picture that we see here is Paul's faithfulness, right? You're like, oh, this is a great example. Where, where, like I said before, is that what I want you to see is that in every single way that we are to be faithful, Christ has been faithful. In his humility, in his service to the Father, in his affliction, in his obedience to the Father, Christ has been faithful. And if Christ has been faithful to us, then our response to a faithful God is what? Faithfulness, not perfection. He knows you're not gonna be perfect, but what he expects of us, consistency, reliability in everyday life, and here's the first step you can take. Here's my practical, you ready? This is big. Verse 32, at the very end, this is what Paul tells them. He says, I'm not gonna see you again, but, but I commend you to one thing. I commend you to two things. God and the word. You know how you can be faithful right now, this moment when you can walk out those doors. You know how you can be faithful in a practical way? Be faithful in the word. Be faithful in your pursuit of Jesus. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. God, you are good. You are gracious. You are loving and kind. And today we talked about faithfulness. But Lord, what we desperately want most is to experience and see your faithfulness in everyday life. We know you've done it. Would you show it to us? God, in in the places in our lives, whether our marriage, relationships, friendships, work, finances, whatever it is, God, where we've been unfaithful, Lord, would would you remind us that the path to faithfulness leads to Jesus where there's grace and mercy to be found. Help us today and every day as we pursue faithfulness. We pray this in Christ's name and the people of God say. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Canmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.